Father in heaven, thank you again for this special time. Lord, our prayer is that we would be equipped. Um, Father, we want to know how we can better serve you. We pray that only the good, the practical, what you meant for us would remain. Father in heaven, we also pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would bless us in an incredible way during this special Sabbath day. And thank you for calling us out here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the name of the seminar is called The Art of the Christian Conversationalist. Now, here's things I want you to understand. I found out probably literally maybe one hour ago that this seminar, the first one is 90 minutes. The second seminar is 90 minutes as well. Um, I have a speaking limitation. I can't speak past, you know, 45 to 60 minutes. So hopefully we're going to get out early. I, I just, I don't want to, you know, destroy your brain for the, you know, uh, the messages later on. So we're just going to keep it very brief, short, sweet. We'll have a time of um, dialogue and we'll go from there. The Art of the Christian Conversationalist, Part 1. Every person born into the kingdom of heaven is called to be a what? missionary amen to share the gospel whenever wherever or excuse me whenever wherever and however possible should be the burden of every child of god there are individuals all over the world praying seeking and yearning for more light because of this the lord has given you a precious capability to share wonderful truths about him it is called your mouth amen some of you are using it right now while i'm speaking right Every person possesses one, and through the Spirit of God, it can be used to bless, build up, and ultimately better someone's life. Likewise, it can be used to discourage, denigrate, and destroy someone. The question is, how will you use this special capability? This seminar is designed to teach some practical tools and tips in being a better Christian conversationalist. So whether you find yourself in the church, coffee shop, classroom, or wherever in the community, you can be a powerful avenue of light. Can you say amen to that? So five reasons to be a Christian conversationalist. Five reasons, okay? Why does God want us to be a Christian conversationalist? Someone who engages other people, talks to other people. Here it is. Number one, God commands it. Amen? By the way, where does God actually command you to preach the gospel? I'm sorry, I thought I was talking to a group of Seventh-day Adventists. All right. Where does God command you to preach the gospel? That's right, Matthew chapter 28, right? Number two, God uses human beings as his primary agent of communication rather than what? Angels. Friends, it's not shepherd that produces sheep. It's sheep that produce sheep. Amen? It is good for your own soul. Amen? The reason why God wants us to witness is because it has a very sanctifying influence upon ourselves. When we share with others, we ourselves are blessed. We grow as a result of it. Amen? One of the reasons why I, got, I believe that God called me to be a pastor or an evangelist because it keeps me really out of a lot of trouble. All right. There are people sincerely seeking for hope. There are people sincerely seeking for hope. God wants you to be a witness to them because there are people all over the world right now yearning to understand the things that you understand. And the last one, the value of a person saved for eternity. Now, you know what's so interesting? I was preaching a sermon on this a few months ago, and I talked about only in light of eternity can we truly value the worth of a soul. You know, I lost my dad in the year 2000. And it was after that moment that I realized 
How precious were those opportunities spent with my father. It's only when a person is gone that we really recognize, man, this was such an important time. Friends, only in the light of eternity are we going to recognize, man, when a person is lost. I mean, this is for eternity, friends. I mean, there is no other resurrection after this. So that's why God gives us this special opportunity to share the gospel through conversation, through dialogue, through talking. And through this seminar, hopefully we'll be able to have some tools to make us more equipped to be able to do this. Now, everybody, take your Bible, and we are going to the gospel of John. The gospel of what? John. John. Very good. Now, if you have your Bibles, put your Bibles in the air right now, and look to the person who doesn't have the Bible with a judgmental look. I want you to go next to that person and I want you to open up the gospel to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And what we're going to do for a couple minutes, not a couple minutes, maybe a few minutes, I want you to take a good look at the story that's found in John chapter 4, starting with verse 1 all the way to verse 26. So take a few moments. I want you to turn to the person next to you. If they don't have a Bible, please share with them. And spend some time reading through that story and talking about that story. And I want to hear some insights that come from just your dialogue and conversation. So let's do that right now. You have permission to talk about the story. John chapter, one, John chapter 4, starting with verse 1 all the way to verse 26. Okay, very good. I want to hear some insights. What did you discover about the master conversationalist? Just keep it brief and beautiful. Raise your hand. What is one insight you discovered about the master conversationalist, Jesus? Yes, how about you? Okay, very good. So that, that's the good way to start a conversation. Okay, very good. Anybody else? What's another insight you discovered? Yes. He listened to the part about the water to revert it back to the eternal water. So he used it in a way that he can actually talk about the gospel, but just merely talking about water first. Okay, very good. He connected with her on that. Yes. He started the conversation. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Yes. He asked her a favor. Okay, anybody else? Yes. He wasn't judgmental. He wasn't judgmental, right? Yeah, you hear her talking about, oh, he's like, you have, she's had so many husbands, like, I know. But he wasn't like, oh, I'm okay, go away or anything. He was, he kept talking to her, and he was like, yeah, he's like, let me tell you about the water. Let me tell you about who I am in God. He continued to share the gospel with her. Very good. Anybody else? What else did you discover about the way that Jesus, yes. Okay, can you reiterate a little bit more? Um, like, for example, like for me, like when I evangelize, sure. I'll go in areas where, where it's not um, like common to see people. Gotcha, I see what you're saying. Kind of go into an area where there's not a lot of people reaching out. Okay, very good. Anybody else? What's another insight you picked up from the master conversationalist? Yes. He did. Like what? He said, 
Yeah, he was bold, huh? Anybody else? What's another insight you picked up from the master conversationalist? Yes. He wasn't afraid to talk about sensitive subjects. He was not afraid to talk about sensitive subjects. Very, very good. He talked about it. Yes. He's confident in what he says. He's confident in what he says. Okay, very good. You know what's so interesting about this story? When you actually study out the Old Testament, most patriarchs met their wives where? At Wells, right? You read the story about Moses, he met his wife Zipporah, where? At a well, right? Or you pick up the story of Jacob. Where did Jacob meet his wife? At a well. You know, it was actually common knowledge that the well was a place to meet a potential spouse. Now, the reason I bring this up is because when Jesus was at this well, this woman shows up, by the way, and she's quite surprised that this man is talking to her. Because if you had actually looked at the direction of the Old Testament from just a superficial perspective, it would appear quite unusual for Jesus to be doing something like this. Because only at the well is where there was pickup lines. It was at the well where courtship began. It was at the well where Jacob saw his wife and kissed her and then he cried afterwards. Right? The reason I bring this up is because when you're actually studying out the Gospels, this woman is quite surprised because this Jewish man is talking to her and from all other perspectives, I mean, if you look at it, even the disciples were like, wait, what's he doing? And so Jesus used this opportunity, though, to reach out and share the beautiful truth of the salvation of God with her. Amen? Amen. Now, there's a few tips to remember when it comes to being a conversationalist, okay? It starts with this. Number one, this is extremely important. If you don't get this, I mean, this is probably the most important step to being the best witness God wants you to be, and it starts with in the morning. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first what? Work. Let your prayer be, take me, O thine, as holy thine. I lay my plans where? At thy feet. Use me today in your service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Each morning consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up. Now that's very key. As his providence shall indicate. Thus day by day you may be giving your life into the hands of God and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. This is extremely important for any um, so anybody who's trying to be a witness for God, and that is this. In the morning, give your entire day to God. Give your plans to God. It doesn't mean you shouldn't make plans, but it does mean surrender your plans. One thing I picked up more and more as I've sort of grown in my Christian walk, and I'm still growing, is when my plans don't work out the way they should, it's because God has another motive in mind. He has another agenda in mind. There's somebody else he wants me to meet. There's somebody else he wants me to share the gospel with. Do you know what Paul said in Philippians? He said these words, quite interesting. He said, the things that have fallen out unto me have led to the furtherance of the gospel. Notice what he's saying. He says, look, the things that happened to me, things that I didn't quite expect, he said, it actually in the end led to the furtherance of the gospel. So throughout the whole day, I'm making my plans. I set my plans before God. I give my agenda before God. I said, okay, God, anything you want to change, feel free to do it. And it's interesting 
Because through the daily intercourse of life, things that I thought were supposed to happen that day did not end up happening, and it turns out for an opportunity, God wants me to meet somebody. This is why this is the first important step to understand. You know, when I was pastoring in the series church, I had various appointments laid out. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to give you all these appointments. And sometimes these appointments would cancel. And when they would cancel, I would be, oh, man, I wish I could have met with this person. But then I thought to myself, I wonder what God has in store during this moment. And so oftentimes I'd be sitting at my desk and the, the appointment was canceled. I'd just be waiting. I'm thinking, what's next? What's coming? And all of a sudden, somebody comes walking in. Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. Come on in. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Friends, I want you to understand something. This is extremely important. We need to give our time to God. And when we give it to God, He will lead us where we need to be. Amen? Amen. Number two. This is something I've been learning more and more. You know, when it comes to the daily intercourse of life, if you were to lay out your schedule, let's just lay out a hypothetical schedule, okay? You're trying to be a Christian witness for God. You want it to be just somebody who reaches out. Now, how do you do it throughout your whole day? Okay, you set your day's plan before God. You surrender it before the Lord. You think, okay, in the morning, I'm going to do my devotions. Then I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to come back, take a shower. Then I'm going to go to work. And on my lunch break, I'm going to go to the store to pick up some groceries I need to get for the house. Come back to work. Then after I get off work, I'm going to go to Big Five to buy some brand new sneakers to go hiking with Reed. Then when that's done, you're going to go home and you're going to eat dinner. But then you're going to take a walk in the park. Sounds like a normal day, right? Now imagine if you set that day apart. And you say, okay, God, these are my plans. I'm giving it to you. Whatever you want to change, feel free to do it. Throughout that day, you need to pay attention to the people God is bringing to you. The people you keep coming across regularly. One thing I'm learning more and more is that Anel Kanda does not smile very easily. In fact, it's, bec it's become a, a kind of a, a muscle workout for me to smile. I've been working on this. Do you know why smiling is extremely important for the Christian? Do you know when people see someone who is smiling, do you know what that indicates? Oh, it means they're happy. Something mischievous in their mind, right? What does it mean when someone's smiling? There's an approachability. You know, when someone has, I'm not talking about like a cheesy smile, like, or like a creeper smile. You know, that's not somebody who's approachable, are they? It's not somebody you want to like, oh, I want to talk to that person. Whatever's on their mind, I want to know, right? I mean, that's bizarre, you know? But I was going through this one day. I was actually studying out the topic of smiling and why it's so important. I came across this quote in Ellen White's writings where she was talking to a man who said that Jesus did not smile. And then notice what she says. It has been said that Jesus never smiled. This is not what? That is so emphatic. This is not correct. By the way, if you actually study out Catholic paintings of Jesus, there's an intentionality by Catholic painters to make sure Jesus is not smiling. Did you know that? If you actually study out Catholic artists, when they paint a picture of Jesus, he is not smiling. You want to know why? Because there is a belief about Jesus, 
And that belief leads to the reason why they need another mediator. And what's her name? We need Mary. Because Jesus is stern. And so that's why when you look at the paintings of Jesus, he's frowning. There's not even a, a slight smile. It's just this cold look. I look what Ellen White says. She says, it is not correct. A child in its innocence and purity called forth from his lips joyous song. She continues in another place. It's often said that Jesus shed tears but never smiled. Our Savior was indeed a man of sorrows, but his face wore a look of peace and what? Joy. Happiness flowed from his heart. Not his here, excuse me. Wherever he went, he brought rest and peace, joy and gladness. You know one thing I'm realizing more and more? Wherever I'm going, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I need to smile more. And as I'm smiling more, all of a sudden it's like people want to talk to me a little bit more. I'm learning there's more approachability, more accessibility. When I was younger, I used to walk like this. You know, Randy Skeet was in here. God bless that man. Amen? And I appreciate his preaching. He was in the audience yesterday. When I got up to preach, I was thinking, my goal is to make that brother smile. <laughs> and so while I was preaching, he was there, and he was nodding his head. But you know, Randy Skeet is Randy Skeet. And so he was there, and I was like, OK, this brother is not smiling. I was noticing him in the back of my head. I was like, maybe he's mad or upset at something I said. So I continued to preach. But then I made this point, and I looked, and I saw this smile. I said, praise the Lord. Right? Smiling is extremely important. When you are smiling, it will become more and more natural. You'll find you'll be able to talk more with people. People will not feel sort of this distance from me. I want to talk to that individual. I want to get to know them a little bit more. And this is very important. You know, I've been doing evangelism. And when I preach, oftentimes I would have this look of intensity. And there are moments where you need to be very, very serious about the things you're proclaiming. Amen? You know, it's not like, hey, God is going to destroy the loss. <laughs> it's not, those aren't the times to smile, right? I mean, really, that's not the... I mean, you, so when it comes to serious matters, it needs to be reflected in our faith. But we shouldn't wear that at all times. Christians should be the happiest people in the world. Amen? And the more joyful you are, again, not a cheesy smile or creepy smile, right? We want just a, a natural smile. Man, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you'll find that the more you talk with people on the world, they're, they're burning. They're like, man, I, why do you have that peace? My brother-in-law, who's an ER doctor, not too far from Colton, California. My sister also lives there, and uh, she's a doctor. And he is so stressed out. I never forgot, I was just spending some time with him, and I was just listening and I was just smiling. I don't even remember what the conversation was about. And then I was about to leave and he says, hey, could you just stay? I feel, I just feel peace around you. Friends, I want you to understand something. If Jesus smiled, so should we. Amen? If Jesus smiled, so should we. How about this? Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse 22. News of this reached a church in Jerusalem and they said what? Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and what? Encouraged. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, do you know what his name means? 
son of comfort or encouragement. By the way, you know we talk about Paul, Paul being this great man, right? We say Paul preached the gospel everywhere. But do you know Paul couldn't have been Paul if it wasn't for his friend Barnabas, who God intentionally put next to him? Because you can imagine Paul being very charismatic, his emotions going up and down. He needed someone who was steadfast and an encourager, and God sent a man by the name of Barnabas. When you actually study out the book of Acts, anytime God adds an ingredient, the church grows. Day of Pentecost, the church grows, right? The deacons were ordained, church grows, right? The gospel goes in different parts of the world because of persecution, the church grows. When Barnabas is actually begins to do his ministry, notice what the Bible says, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great what? Number of people were brought to the Lord because of this man's positive, encouraging faith. People were brought into the church, one man. Friends, I want you to understand something. There's, there's things that this world needs. And that's encouragement. Amen? Encouragement in the Lord. And when you're encouraging people to follow the Lord, to do what God has called them to do, you'll find that they'll want to be and they want to grow according to that. Let's continue. Handshake. Now you're thinking, what does a handshake have to do with engaging people. Do you know Ellen White was a big fan of handshakes? She was known for her firm handshake. In fact, she says these words, much depends upon the manner in which you meet those whom you visit. You can take a hold of a person's hand in a greeting in such a way as, notice this, to gain his confidence at once or in so cold a manner that he will think you have no interest in him. You know, I actually had a good friend, and he was working at this church. He was there. Um, he was one of the elders. He talked about a pastor who was actually going to that church to be interviewed. And he said when the pastor went to that church to be interviewed, he shook the hand of the, of the elders, and he did what was called the dead fish. Do you know what a dead fish is? Uh, Rohit, can I borrow you for a second? Now, I'm going to demonstrate what the dead fish is for you, so you understand. And so what happened is when he shook the hand of the elders with a, a, a dead fish, you know what happened? They immediately said, no. And the one thing they remember, they said, look, we need someone who's brave and courageous in this area. He's got a weak handshake. These were a group of farmers. A dead handshake, by the way, a dead fish handshake is when you're shaking someone's hand and then you immediately let go and there's like no grip and it feels like there's a dead goldfish in their hand. <laughs> really, that's what a dead fish is. You know, when you go to church and you're greeting the past, oh, Rohit, please stay up here. <laughs> when you're going to church, right, and you're greeting people, oftentimes we think, oh, that's just not that big of a deal. But she says there's almost this kind of, you can imagine this kind of a subconscious influence you're having upon somebody when you shake their hand in such a way to gain their confidence or in a way that's cold. You know, I had this um, a church member who was a truck driver and he went on the other end of the spectrum. He was a truck driver and he was a mechanic. His forearms were the size of my whole body. He told me one day when he shook this lady's hand, he didn't realize that he broke her hand. Her hand was broken. She actually had to go to the hospital after church. 
He didn't know it. His strength was so big. When you're a pastor, part of the difficulty is, you know, people are coming out, you're shaking elderly people's hands, so you're a little bit less. People who are much more stronger, and you're constantly having to change your grip. So it's not always easy being a pastor. But, <laughs> but as a general rule, people you meet out into town, when you meet in town, you give them a nice, firm handshake. How you doing, man? Is that firm? Good. Good, firm handshake. But the funny thing is when they give you a firm handshake and you kind of get this struggle back. Have you ever had that? There's this almost struggle. All right. You know what I mean? It happens all the time, right? But you know what? When that's happening, there's almost this like, oh, good, good. This man's confident. This person's confident. So I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and I want you to give them a firm, not a destructive or a dead fish handshake, okay? Turn to the person next to you and you give them a nice handshake. And don't be afraid to shake the hand of a lady man, and men, don't be afraid to shake the hand of ladies. Okay, all right. Very good, very good. A handshake is extremely important. You know, when you go into town, there's one thing I do, if I can get your attention right now, don't make me get Randy Skeet in here, all right? <laughs> don't make me get that brother. So whenever I go into town, whenever I'm doing business or service with people, afterwards I will reach my hand over the counter and I will give them a firm handshake and I'll say, thank you very much, I appreciate that. And you, you want to leave with this good image, this good picture. And there's something that happens on a, a, a subconscious level. Man, man I want to get to know this person. There, there's something inside of them, they have something, and I want to get to know more about that. By the way, in the second part of the seminar, we're going to deal with how to take people out to dinner and how to actually use conversation to share with them. Now let's continue. Eye contact. Eye contact. Now, is eye contact important? Rohit, if I can borrow you for a second. Now, eye contact's very important. You want to know why eye contact is very important? I've been actually going through this book. And this man describes what he calls ocular tension. And he says ocular tension is sort of the ability of someone to be able just to look them straight in the eye. A kind of a tension. And he says, in human history, we have the worst ocular tension right now. He said, ever throughout human history. He says, we can't even retain attention because of all the things that we're constantly stimulated by, all the things we're looking at, all the time. And when, when you grow up, by the way, do you remember what you did when you watched Sesame Street? Do you remember what they did? You watch Sesame Street, then you have Count Chocula, right? And he's counting. Not Chocula, right? The count. He's counting. And then you know what happened a second later? The scene switched. The scene switched and there you are. You're, you know, you're talking to Big Bird. Then the scene switched. And what happens from a very early age, you think, oh yeah, children, because of their attention uh, deficiency is why we have to produce these television shows that are quickly, constantly changing, constantly stimulating them. But the problem is, is that cultivates more of that. So what this author was saying in this book about eye contact, he was saying these words. He was saying, what we need to develop, he says, when you're looking at somebody and you're talking with them, he says, oftentimes, Attention is created when you're staring at them too long. A very kind of awkwardness begins to develop. <laughs> Do you feel quite awkward, Rohit, right now? Right? And the worst is when they're, you're not blinking and you're just staring them in the eye. And then you move in a little bit closer. 
right? So what this author was saying, which is quite interesting, he said, look, when you're talking to some, oh, Rohit, could you please stay up there? <laughs> when you're communicating with somebody, he says, you want to have about a 50% a, a sort of eye contact. You keep a 50% where you're talking. You know, you look away slightly, but you're talking. But he says, when you're listening, he says, you want to have about an 80% eye contact during that conversation. It shows that you're paying attention. Unfortunately, what's happening in today's age, you'll get people when you're talking to them, and as you're communicating with them, they're just like... I mean, really, we've raised a culture that doesn't give people eye contact anymore. Do you know when Peter and John went into the gate beautiful, they saw the man there who was crippled, and do you know what they said to him? Look at us. Look at us. Silver and gold we don't have. But in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up. You see, this man had even lost his ability, his self-worth to be able to look at people in their eyes. And so when Peter and John were telling them, they said, look at us. You are a human being. And so when it comes to conversation, when you're talking to people, you're connecting with people, you want to have kind of a natural, just ocular tension or whatever you want to call it. As you're talking, you're communicating with them, right? You look away, right? You don't want to just have this laser beam in their eyes, <laughs> right? You want to keep a healthy distance. I mean, oftentimes, this is extremely important. One of the reasons why I cut sh uh, communication short in, like if I'm church or wherever I'm at, I'm so uncomfortable when people get this close to me as they're talking to me. You ever have someone like that? I mean, can you really communicate the gospel to them? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know what I mean? And so, you know, keep a little bit distance, but have a, a natural, just, you know, not too far away. We're like, hey, let me tell you about God. <laughs> you want to be in such a place where there's this sort of natural distance. Yeah, let's, let's talk about stuff. You know what I mean? And this is extremely important. Now, you may not think it's a big deal, but friends, I want you to understand something. I came across somebody one day who said these words. They said, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We just have weird beliefs. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, do you know what the definition of the word weird is? She said, what? I said, weird is an attribute that makes people feel uncomfortable. I said, we have unique beliefs. I said, do you know what uniqueness is? She said, what? An attribute that makes people intrigued and interested. I said, our beliefs are unique. And I looked her straight in the eye and I said, people are weird. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> our beliefs are beautiful. And people want to know more about them, right? And so the more we share in just a, a, a natural way and we communicate, we're going to find just this positive reaction to that, right? Let's continue. Oh, Roy, can you please stay there? All right. <laughs> Number five, look for problems or concerns as openings. Do you know when you're talking to somebody, you don't have to go in there with just this mindset, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel to them. What you do is you just have a regular conversation with them. But where the alarm should go off is when they begin to share an issue or concern or problem. In other words, there should be this woo, 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 whenever you're talking to somebody. You know when oftentimes I'll get to the grocery store and I'll, and I'll buy some groceries and as I'm going through the line, I meet somebody and they're like, oh, good. How are things going? Oh, yeah, you're buying some chocolate chip cookies. That's nice, right? And you're talking to them and they say, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm just, uh, yeah. 
the alarm should go off. Oh, good for you. God bless you. You know, that's not the time to say that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the time to say, wait a minute, God just put me here. You don't have to be, just kind of have this weird tension as you're going about witnessing. It can be very natural as you're going out. Just pay attention. By the way, I read this wonderful quote. Type this in in her writings, Ellen White's writing, Chief Joy. Chief Joy. She said, the chief joy of the beings in heaven is to bring happiness to others. That's what she says. Happiness to others. Do you know when Jesus said, you are the light of the world? Right? He said, you're the, you know, he talked about being the water of life. Do you know what's interesting about water and light? That's environment. Do you know if you were to take certain organisms, right, like say plants, and you put them in different environments, they naturally grow? You know, we have these kids growing up in Central California, and we have this Teen Bible Academy program. First week, we take them out to Yosemite, get them away from all their electronics. Second week, we do study. We're covering prophecy and witnessing, outreach, and just what the Bible teaches. Third week, we do service activities. And let me tell you something. You'll get these kids that are like hellions the very first day they show up. Actually, Rohit, you were on Teen Bible Academy. And what happens, but Rohit was a good kid, right? And uh, what's interesting is, and Rohit can testify of this, you will see changes happen. You know why? Their environment has changed. In bad environments, there's a spiritual growth. And so when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, what he was saying is, go be good environment to people. And when you're a good environment to people, they'll grow. They'll grow. You know, I was counseling a married couple. And uh, in, during when I married them, I said, look, I said, the, one of the greatest priorities you have in marriage, and I told the husband this, is you are to make the wife the very best woman she can be. And then I told the wife, you're to make your husband the very best husband he can be. I said, but you're not to eclipse who he is. He's to grow, and she is not to be eclipsed. She is to grow in the fullness that God created her to be. Amen? Amen. And so, Rohit, you can take a seat now. <laughs> and so, when you're talking with people, look for problems, look for concerns, look as openings. You're communicating with people. And as you're communicating, look, you don't even have to try. You go into town, and in the daily intercourse of life, as you're just meeting people, you'll find, wait a minute, this person just opened up something to me, and I need to communicate, right? How about this? Much of the prejudice that prevents the truth of the third angel's message from reaching the hearts of the people, notice this, might be removed if they more attention were given to health reform. What are you talking about, Pastor Nell? And what does this have to do with conversationalists? When people become interested in this subject, notice this, the way is often prepared for the entrance of other truths. And I love what she says next. If they see we are intelligent with regard to health, they will be more ready to believe we are sound in Bible doctrines. Do you know what she is saying here? This is so amazing. She says, look, when people know you're intelligent about the things of health, they're going to be curious about what else do you believe in? Intelligent people believe in this. And so what does this mean? 
There's one thing I like to talk about all the time when I go into town. I like talking about health. Everyone's interested in health. You have all these races taking place. Everyone's interested in fitness. Everyone wants to become better physically. And so what happens is, as when you begin to share wonderful insights, the advantages of the health message, you'd be quite surprised when people say, well, I want to know more. Now, it doesn't mean on the very first day you talk to them about all the uh, unclean foods they've been eating and putting in their body, right? Unless God actually opens up that door. Never, never forgot one day, I had actually gone to Jamba Juice. Anybody here been to Jamba Juice? Love that place. Amen. All right. Went to Jamba Juice, and it's near this gym. And this lady came in, and I offered her just this, you know, piece of literature, and she was like, no, thank you. And then she was just there, and she was just keep moving her feet like this. You know, she was just like, I got to stay active. Just came back from intense workout. She was ordering some Jamba Juice. And I was there, I was like, okay, all right, we'll see what we can do with this. And I said, hey, I'm going to show you something. And I had this flyer for a health fair we did. And I said, hey, look, come to this, come to this um, you know, health fair we do. And she's like, I don't think I need to go to something like that. And then I said, do you want to know who the longest living people in the entire world are? And then she looked, who? Come to this and you'll find out. <laughs> and then she took that paper and she like brought it close to her. Like she was guarding this thing. I say this, friends, is because when we share the health message, they're going to be interested in what else we got. What else do you got? You know, Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching a message about Joseph, how he was prophecy's problem solver, not prophecy's problem causer. And so that Sunday morning, I'm going to share how God actually causes, uh, calling us to share solutions to this world. We are called to be solution people. Adventism is solutions for this world. And so when you are sharing the gospel message, you're sharing these powerful biblical truths. You know what? You are sharing solutions to people who are looking for answers to their problems. So friends, I really want to encourage you. If you don't know what to talk about, talk about health. You'll find people ready to engage you ready to talk to you. You know, I go to the dry sauna. I, I like going to a dry sauna after I work out for about two or three times a week. I just like sweating. And the first time I did it, I only did like 10 minutes. And I'm interested in dry sauna because it's supposed to help in just getting stuff out of you. And so I did it. I, would go to, I was doing an evangelistic series at Bakersfield. And I would go to the in-shape gym. I went to the dry sauna and I was just there. And all of a sudden, all these, this great group of Hispanic women went in. And it's really awkward because they were all talking in Spanish and I was like, I don't know what they're talking about right now. And they're all there, just filling up the entire room. And I was just there and all of a sudden, one of them turns to me and she just begins to talk to me. And then I said, yeah, you know, I'm actually doing, I'm a pastor, I'm doing a series in there. And she's like, you're a pastor? She says, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. And there, she just began to open up about some issues she was going through, and we prayed. God really blessed, and she's like, I know God sent you. I was going through a rough time right now. And here we are just in this place where I'm just trying to, you know, feel better with the dry sauna. God opened up an amazing door. You know, this is extremely important. By the way, when Jesus actually spoke to the man that was paralyzed, who was brought down by his friends, do you remember the first thing he told that man? What did he tell that man? Your sins are forgiven. Now, 
The Pharisees said, we don't believe this. No one can do this. What did Jesus do next? He healed the man. Notice this. The healing of the man was evidence of the power of the gospel. Jesus actually used the health message to communicate the um, accurate, the truth of the gospel. And so when we're sharing the health message, we're actually sharing an aspect of the gospel message. Amen? Health is extremely important. How about this? You don't know what to talk about. What do I talk about? Remember these words. Feel, felt, and found. When you're having a conversation with somebody, you got a brief moment, and you're wondering, how do I talk to this person? What do I share with this person? I want you to remember these words. Feel, felt, and found. Think of it like this. I understand how you feel. I felt that way before. But here's what I found. Amen? Now I want you to turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you. If you're looking at me, you're not turning to the person next to you, right? And one of you, I want you to share that phrase, feel, felt, and found, regarding answers to prayer. So go ahead and do that right now. Turn to the person next to you. Just to give you a recap, I understand how you feel. I felt that way before, but this is what I've found. Feel, felt, found. This is the time to overcome shyness. I understand how you feel. I have felt that way before, but this is what I found. Feel, felt, found. Feel, felt, found. Okay, it doesn't take that long. All right. All right. Someone's talking to you about something. They're going through a rough time. Or they have an interest in something. This is where you say, I understand how you feel. I what? I felt that way before, but this is what I've found. Right? I understand how you feel. I understand how you feel. I felt that way too. But this is what I found. Amen? And this is just, and you know, obviously you don't have to be as plastic and always, I gotta say, feel, felt, found. Feel, felt, found. I understand how you found. I feel that way, and I know how you felt. What? You know, you don't, don't worry about that, right? When you do this more and more, and you'll find, man, this is just, I only got a few minutes, and it's just opening up an incredible door for me to share something, a solution, to share a truth. To share a blessing. And how about this, friends? Literature. Literature is very important in conversations, isn't it? We're called to give literature. When the spoken word fails, the written word will prevail. Amen? So let me give you just a case, um, an example of this. So I was, 
doing a series in Fresno, California. And uh, several years ago, I actually broke my back. I, have a compre- I, had a, I fell several feet. I was doing something foolish. I was um, rappelling off the side of a building okay, in college. The rope came done. I fell about 25 feet. I uh, broke my navicular bone. I had a compression fracture, T11. And uh, it was a very difficult time. Since then, I've had neck problems. But I'm someone who likes to exercise a lot. And so I have to constantly go to the chiropractor. It's like, you know. And so I go to the chiropractor, and I'm always trying to witness to the chiropractor. And sometimes I think to myself, this is useless. Not going to work. These, these men aren't interested. They go through so many people. What is it that I have to share? But I would still be very intentional. Went to one chiropractor, and I was trying to invite him to the series. He's like, yeah, I don't got time for that. I said, oh, okay, whatever. Went to, went to Fresno. I looked up one of the best chiropractors in Fresno. I went to him, and it was so funny. I sat down with him, and he did some just, you know, he looked at my body, and he was like, look. He brought in his nurse, and he's like, look, that's the worst pronation I've ever seen. And he was just pointing out just how bad my body was. And he was so intense. The guy is so intense. And uh, we were talking, and he was like, he, and he got really close, like awkwardly close to me, okay? And he's like, what kind of accidents have you been in? And I said, well, I broke my back. He's like, what else? And I said, well, and he's like, I know you have something else. What else happened? <laughs> I said, okay. I got into a car accident. It wasn't so bad. He's like, I didn't say it was so bad. I said, what else did you get into a car What else did you, what else, how else did you hurt yourself? I said, I think I got into another car accident. <laughs> and he's like, how bad was it? And I said, well, there was a fender bender, but, you know, I think I'm okay. He's like, I'm not asking if you're okay. I just asked you how bad was it. And I was like, this guy is so intense, like really intense. In fact, when he left, I turned to the nurse and I was like, is he like that with everybody? And she's like, (laughs) so here's the thing. This just happened a, a few months ago. And so while there, and, you know, he had all these people lined up, all these people lined up who were just, he was using the activator gun sometimes on the back to reset just the, the vertebrae. And so I was there, and I was like, okay, I got one flyer. I'm going to give it one shot. I'm doing a series. We'll try it out. And so all these people were there, and he was like, okay, you're up. He brings me up, and he's like, and then he puts me on back, and he's doing it. And I'm like, okay, Lord, okay, help me right now. I need to be a witness. And I walked out, and I was like, okay, hey, by the way, here's a flyer. And I walked out just like that, <laughs> just like that, okay? I, it was so bad because I was like, okay, I just need to get out of this place, okay? He took the flyer, and I noticed in the corner of my eye, he just set it on the counter. First day of the series, he showed up. I was like, what? In fact, it was started on a Friday. He said, you know what's so funny? I came on Thursday because I thought it started on Thursday. I was so excited about this series, and I thought, this guy wasn't interested at the time. He goes through the entire series and gets baptized. I baptized my coward. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. You know what this just confirmed to me? Don't give up on your doctors and chiropractors and dentists and podiatrists. Amen? Amen. They are candidates for the kingdom. And just as much as this guy is intense with his um, chiropractic medicine, he's intense with sharing the gospel too. What day do you go to church? You know? the worst thing I've ever seen or heard, you know? (laughs) But it's amazing because, look, here's the thing. When we're just sharing and we just have this mindset, look, Lord, open up up an opportunity for me to share the gospel. You will see what God does. 
And He will open up just these moments of interaction. You may have one minute. It may be 10 minutes, 20 minutes. But in those few moments, someone's life can be permanently changed for eternity. Can you say amen to that? Some thousands may be one. When Jesus reaches one. Amen? When Jesus reaches one. Each one reach one. You are called to share the gospel to this world. Amen? We'll end with this. The Lord desires that his word of grace shall be brought home to every soul. To a great degree, this must be accomplished by personal labor. This was Christ's method. His work was largely made up of personal interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. There are multitudes who will never be reached by the gospel unless it is carried to them. And friends, I leave that with you as we end seminar one. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we end this seminar, God, help us just to go out. Help us just to try to share the gospel, Lord, to be a witness wherever, whenever, and however we're called, Lord. And Father in heaven, thank you for the people that will be in the kingdom because we decided to talk to them. Thank you, God, for what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.